Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, May 7th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. I am here on my own today. I'm going to run you through all of Wednesday's news. And then I had a chat with our good friend, Lisa Goldberg, who is a publicist to theater artists of all kinds. She had a very passionate Twitter thread on Wednesday about the Variety story discussing the possibility of the 2020 Tony Awards being completely canceled. We will talk more about that at the end of the episode, so stay tuned to that. Also, don't forget to head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio. We will have interviews hitting the Patreon feed before they get into the regular feed over the next few days and over the weekend. And as James announced to our Patreon friends on Wednesday, they will be again be welcoming listeners to the recording of Sundays this week on Broadway. If you would like to be a part of that, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio. All right, let's start today's news with a story that has brought up a lot of good, bittersweet memories for many in the theatrical community. As yesterday, it was announced that the famed Shetler Studio and theaters would not be reopening due to the financial strain caused by the COVID-19 shutdowns. The rehearsal studios and black box theaters have operated on 54th Street for over 30 years and have been the starting spots for works by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Pasek and Paul, Joe Iconis, and many, many more. Founder and owner Ron Shetler said in an email sent out to members of the theater community, quote, the path to recovery is simply too steep for our small company. Lin-Manuel Miranda tweeted, quote, countless memories in those spaces, but the one that comes to mind first is bringing in the new bridge to that would be enough and hearing Philip Asu sing it for the first time. Shetler was renowned for offering affordable quality rental space to everyone from big Broadway shows to students just needing a rehearsal room so they didn't piss off all their neighbors and uh, and roommates. Uh, and its closing will certainly be felt throughout the community. In other news, as part of a huge joint conference call on Wednesday morning, leaders from Broadway's unions discussed concerns surrounding members' health care now and moving forward and keeping their members healthy once they actually do return to work. On the call, Actors' Equity President Kate Schendel said that there has been progress made in figuring out health insurance issues for their members, including the monthly $100 premiums for May, June, and July already having been waived. However, when it comes to a return, she said, quote, Historically, there is no such thing as social distancing for our members, particularly actors, regardless of the size of the audience. So we know we're going to need some new standards going forward. And so I think we're going to see if theaters and employers being creative, our director and choreographer colleagues being creative with how they use our members in new and innovative ways. But we have to know that it's safe on stage and backstage, in addition to in the audience, before we are comfortable that it's safe to go back to work. Matthew Loeb, the international president for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, spelled it out a little more clearly when he said, quote, We were among the first to be harmed by the pandemic because people cannot go to a theater and sit next to each other. And I believe we will be among the last to return, especially in the live theater. So while it is good to know that the unions are working internally and externally in order to make things better for their members, I would continue to brace ourselves for the worst in terms of a potential return timetable. 
In semi-related news, yesterday Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS announced that they were launching emergency grants for Pandemic Relief, a one-week fundraising initiative to provide $2 million in grants to vital organizations across the country whose resources are stretched, dealing with immediate needs heightened by the COVID-19 crisis. A number of organizations led by Gilead Sciences, Inc. have contributed money to kick off the campaign. In fact, Gilead is providing the lead gift of half a million dollars in an additional 500 K to match all new donations. If you would like to donate, you can do so at broadwaycares.org slash relief 2020. The campaign and the dollar for dollar matching from Gilead run through midnight Eastern time on Wednesday, May 13th. Let's wrap up this section with a bit of optimistic news as yesterday Broadway alum Amanda Klutz provided a positive update on her husband, Tony nominee Nick Cordero. As we've discussed, Cordero went to the hospital in late March dealing with the effects of the coronavirus and was put into a medically induced coma to allow his body to better deal with the disease. He has since battled numerous complications, including those that unfortunately led to the amputation of his right leg. As of recording, Nick has not yet woken up from the coma despite having been off of the sedatives for weeks. But Klutz posted on social media on Wednesday that, quote, the doctor just called and said that Nick is showing very, very early stages of tracking, which means that he is starting to wake up, which is huge. The doctor thinks this is a great sign that he is starting to wake up. It's showing signs that there's some hope. We are going to be talking a little bit more about Nick in a few minutes when I speak with Lisa Goldberg at the end of the episode, so stay tuned for that. But of course, as always, our thoughts are with Nick, Amanda, and their son, Elvis. But before we get to that interview, let's talk about some theater news that came out on Wednesday really quickly. Yesterday, it was announced that the new Avett Brothers musical Swept Away, which was supposed to have its world premiere this spring at Berkeley Rep, has been moved to the summer of 2021. The show features a book by John Logan and a score by the folk rock band The Avett Brothers. Michael Mayer will direct and John Gallagher Jr. and Stark Sands will continue to lead the production. We also learned yesterday that Broadway Records will release a new benefit album called Artists in Residence, featuring original songs to benefit the Actors Fund and the Dramatists Guild. Supplying songs for the album will be Alan Menken, Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, David Zippel, Carmel Dean, Adam Guan, Ryan Scott Oliver, and many more. All of the tracks on the album will be the products of collaborations and recordings done from the artists' homes, hence the name of the album Artists in Residence. And finally, in this section, yesterday, the upcoming streaming service Broadway On Demand announced that they will stream the upcoming virtual concert, A Night of Covenant House Stars, featuring more than 50 performers uniting to sing and share a message of inspiration for young people in support and celebration of the Covenant House, the international charity that we talk about fairly often here uh, that provides housing, food and health care to children and youth facing homelessness. The concert will take place on Monday, May 18th at 8 p.m. and will be hosted by Audra McDonald and 60 Minutes correspondent John Dickerson. Both Audra and John are members of the Covenant House Board of Directors. And the event will feature performances and appearances by an absolutely absurd group of talent, including Meryl Streep, Diane Keaton, John Bon Jovi, Rachel Brosnahan, Stephen Colbert, Martin Short, Dolly Parton, Dionne Warwick, Stephanie J. Block, Tony Shalhoub, Zachary Levi, Zachary Quinto, Deborah Cox, Quentin Earl Darrington, Ariana DeBose, Darius DeHaas, Eden Espinosa, Jordan Fisher, Capathia Jenkins, Jeremy Jordan, Alex Newell, Karen Olivo, Laura Osnes, Benj Pasek, Shireen Pimentel, Andrew Reynolds, Kiala Settle, Will Swinson, Bobby Conti Thornton, Anna Villafanye, Frank Wildhorn, the Broadway Inspiration Voices Choir and many, many more. This is 
an obscene amount of talent and a can't-miss event, so mark your calendars and obviously contribute if you are able to. And I'm just going to say that based on things that I'm hearing behind the scenes, this Broadway on demand sounds like it is going to be an absolutely incredible platform with properties both new and old that are going to blow people's minds. So when those are actually announced, keep an eye on that. I think you're going to want to be one of the first to jump on that bandwagon. All right, before we get into my conversation with Lisa Goldberg, let's run through a couple of recommendations. First, if you are not following along with Tony nominee Rob McClure's Conductor Cam series on social media, you are missing out. I don't want to say too much to spoil some of the fun of it, but I'll have a link to the most recent video in the show notes. You can find them all on his Instagram and Twitter and stuff. They're amazing. I love Rob McClure. And finally, a few days ago, Miami student Max Millian posted a YouTube video that he says that he created as the final project for his semester's course on the works of Lin-Manuel Miranda. In the video, he imagines a meeting between Usnavi and Alexander Hamilton in present-day Washington Heights. It's pretty incredible. Like, this kid is really, really good. In fact, Lin himself tweeted it out saying, quote, Did, did 17-year-old me send me this? Are you me? Check it out and uh, be somewhat comforted knowing that there are creative young people out there who love musical theater as much as we olds do. Okay, we are now going to welcome in longtime Broadway radio friend, both on air and behind the scenes, Lisa Goldberg, who is the director of LSG Public Relations. She reps Broadway and TV stars and many, many more. She is a fixture in the Broadway community, and we're very fortunate to talk to her today. All right, so Lisa, I wanted to start by talking to you because on Wednesday, Variety published a column in which they claim that due to issues with like voters and nominators not having been able to see all of the shows that had already opened in the 2019-2020 season, that the 2020 Tony Awards might be canceled altogether. And I don't want to get into like all of the minutiae in the article because it was basically a lot of speculation and not exactly lining up with what I have heard is actually on the table, but... You had a pretty passionate response to it on Twitter yesterday, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the Twitter thread if people want to read the whole thing. But do you want to just kind of quickly wrap up your, like, give a recap of your thoughts that you said very eloquently on Twitter on Wednesday? Uh, sure. I don't know that I'll be eloquent now. I'm much better <laughs> at writing than speaking. Understood. But, um, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, it's just my personal opinion on what they should do. And certainly none of them are asking me. <laughs> and I, I trust, um, you know, that the league and the wing are, are, you know, they have a lot of smart people in charge and they're going to do what is in the best interest of everyone. I do, I do feel confident about that. Um, but I mean, if someone were to ask me whether or not the Tony should go on, I feel like they absolutely should, which is what I was writing about. And, you know, it would be different if there had only been three or four months in the season or even if even if only half a season had happened, it would be a little different circumstances. And I do realize that April is extremely heavy in opening shows, especially musicals, um, and a lot of people do that on purpose, and it makes perfect sense sure. strategically. But there were 11 months of a season that happened. And I just feel like if nothing is done as far as the Tony Awards this year, that's just so unfair to all of the productions and the creatives and the actors and everyone involved with those shows 
that were up and running and had opened in the 11 months prior to the shutdown. I mean, obviously, no one could see this coming from that far away, and and that we would be shut down, Broadway would be shut down for such a long time with not knowing what the light at the end of the tunnel is. And I feel like all the more reason why we have to honor these people. And and I don't know. I just feel really strongly about it. The other awards in off-Broadway and Broadway shows, um, you know, have gone ahead in some manner. And uh, I, I think that there are a thousand ways that they can go forward with this. They just need to figure out what that is. Yeah, I think the the number was there's already been 23 shows that have opened, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, it was two thirds of the season. So, yeah, there were still I think there were 11 shows that hadn't yet opened in the season. But, you know, we were two thirds of the way there. And that's a lot if they do. One of the things I've heard is that they could potentially, especially if Broadway doesn't come back until early 2021 combined what was the 2019-2020 season, which what would be like the second half of the 2020-2021 season. But that means that there are going to be shows that opened in like September and October of 2019 competing against shows that opened in April 2021, which like you said, is a huge strategic advantage to the shows that open later. And that's not necessarily something, you know, Machiavellian that they did, obviously, because of no one, like you said, could foresee this. But it, it does just, for, in my opinion, I, I completely agree with you. Like, from a fairness standpoint, do a Zoom awards show. Other companies have done it. The, the Lortels did it. Drama Desks are going to do it. We've seen the good and the bad with those over the last few months. But if people from the American Theater Wing and the Broadway League can't figure out how to do this properly, no one can. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea of combining the two seasons is awful. Like, if that's an actual idea, which I have heard passed around by people on Facebook as well, but I haven't heard that from any kind of, like, person of any authority. I personally just think that's a horrible idea. It's unfair, period. And there's no reason, like, the show is not going to happen no matter what right now, right? Like, so the idea of having a huge televised broadcast on CBS and Vogue doing a big red carpet and everything that everyone gets so excited about every year and that brings in revenue and promotes the season is not going to happen no matter what. So I feel like you're not missing out on anything by still going forward in some manner by showcasing the season. And when you say, you know, shows would be competing that open last September, I think it goes back even further than that. First of all, the season starts in May. Right. And Moulin Rouge, they opened in what, July, didn't they? Well, and then and then we had Frankie and Johnny in the Clear to Loon that I think actually opened in like early June. Um, because th- that was like right at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, I, I was right. just throwing September out as a, as a random thing. But you're right. It does go way further back than that. Yeah, and you know, I, I mean, for especially for a show like Moulin Rouge, for example, that's been open almost the entire season, they brought in a lot of revenue to the Broadway community. You know, these shows have been open and running. I mean, some shows just opened right before the shutdown, like a show like Girl from the North Country was the last show to open, and you know, it sucks that they opened it five days later. The the shutdown happened and, you know, they're coming off of critics' picks and, you know, yeah, huge reviews, reviews yeah. and can't go forward on that right now. But you have other shows, like I said, like Moulin Rouge has been open almost a full year and they're bringing so much money into the community before this happened. Like, let's honor it all. Whether we give out an award or not, 
I don't think it's about that. I don't think it's about having a winner. I just think it's about not having any losers. Does that make sense? No, totally. I mean, it, it, it's not even just, you know, Moulin Rouge, you know, because obviously the complaint will be, well, shows that were open, people haven't had a chance to see it. But there are other shows that a lot of the nominators have seen. And whether that's something like Tina or Jagged Little Pill, I'm fine with them suspending the traditional rules of the Tony Awards for this season. If that means that you only have the nominators who saw everything vote in certain categories, so be it. If that means that you don't have the full voting body participate in everything, so be it. These shows deserve to be recognized and celebrated. And it's a way to show the camaraderie and the the connection of the community without, like you said, having to have that CBS show. And if at some point, maybe in the fall or late into you know December or something, there's a way to get some of these casts together to do a show that can be televised on CBS to ramp up interest in tickets to be sold for the spring or whenever things get going, fine. Do that too. It doesn't have to be at the Tony Awards. I'm sure CBS will work with them in some way or another, but this seems like what you suggested, having some sort of streaming thing it seems like the obvious thing to do. You're going to have to do things differently than you normally do, but everybody is. Right. To do we're things in a, I mean, we're in a situation that yeah. has never happened before. Yeah. So, and I think that's a good idea. Like if you're able to, in the fall, put on some sort of special on CBS or whoever it may be that honors the past Broadway season, that's great as well. I mean, you, I don't think there are any rules here where you have to do one or the other. I don't think that just because you had some sort of online Tony situation in June or July, that keeps you from doing anything in the fall. And, I mean, I think that's a great idea about changing the rules as to however many nominators saw everything get to vote. But I think there's also an alternative where, you know, every every show has B-roll of the entire show. Explain that real quick, because I don't, I don't know that, like, everybody knows it. Like, they see the, the three minutes of equity allowed B-roll. But explain what that actual process is from somebody on the publicity. I know you don't necessarily normally work with shows, but you understand how this all works. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't give you the ins and outs of shooting B-roll by any means. But, you know, on the most basic level, everyone sees those three-minute clips that you're talking about. And that comes from cameras shooting the entire show. And then producers and marketing and publicists and all sit down for those shows and, you know, cut it. So that they're showing the parts that they want seen as like, you know, the, what, what they call B-roll. I couldn't tell you why it's called B-roll. I probably should know that. A, B, it, like A is the primary stuff. And then like on the TV news, like the B-rolls. All like right. The well, stuff B-roll in, runs yeah. underneath the interview. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Someday, right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. See, I learned things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went to Florida State, so that's fine. Um, anyway. Uh, uh, anyway, but so there, there is video of the entire show that could be. In theory, you could send a private link to all the nominators of your B-roll of your entire show, and they would be able to see every show. Now, the the argument against that in general would be, well, it's not shot in a manner that's meant to be seen, and it's live theater, and it takes away from it when you're viewing it, or you just have a... Uh, one camera wide shot kind of situation. I mean, there's all kinds of 
arguments on the other side of that. But we're in a situation that's never happened before. So if the one thing holding you back from being able to do the Tonys is that not all the nominators were ever able to see every show that opened, this seems like a pretty simple solution to me. Yeah, and and I think you said earlier, there doesn't have to be a winner necessarily. Like, I I think that Mm -mm. recognizing them, and maybe you don't have a winner in every category, and some you do, and when there's like an overwhelming consensus, maybe you do. Uh, But when in categories where it's a little more evenly split, you just say, these are the shows that we are collectively recognizing and the the performances and the design and the work that we are collectively recognizing. Because from a publicist standpoint, like those nominations and eventual wins, those are a big deal to people's careers. And, And obviously, we talk a lot about how they impact the running life of a show and the financial life of a show. But from the individual nominee perspectives, like these are major, not only accomplishments for them personally, but professionally as well. You work with actors, you know, writers, directors, choreographers. I don't know if you do work with any designers, but you pretty much work with folks across the entire theatrical landscape. Can you just give a, a quick understanding about how important a nomination is to the career of a theater artist? Well, uh, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, you know, it really depends on the talent themselves and the project that they're in, but it's certainly never a detriment to be nominated yeah. for your work by any means. Um, and I think that my clients who have been nominated, haven't been nominated, have won, what have you, would all say to you, um, it, it's not about the awards. You know, it's about the work. And I do firmly believe that they that they do feel that way. Uh, from a publicity standpoint, I mean, obviously getting a nomination is humongous. And with the Tonys specifically versus other award shows, there's a six-week period Right, normally, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, where you're doing press nonstop, promoting you, promoting the show, you know, campaigning basically to win that award whereas with emmys and oscars and sags and the rest of the award shows is a much smaller time i mean i think emmy voting is only like two weeks and with tony's you have six weeks a lot of that has to do with how many voters you have have to come see the shows in person you know so that makes a difference but you know, I've never seen it be a bad thing. <laughs> right. Well, and what I mean is, is <laughs> that like... To get a nomination or win. Yeah. It certainly helps. Well, and I just mean that like, because there is that six-week period, the difference between somebody being nominated and not nominated is just a ton of exposure and recognition. They are getting the opportunity to be per- paraded in front of every theater outlet, sometimes non-theater outlets, to get their name in front of people. They're doing interviews, doing videos, doing these things to where just the exposure of being a Tony nominee and perhaps an eventual Tony winner is, and this is not necessarily your side of the business, but could have huge ramifications for their careers moving forward in terms of doors that they can get in opportunities that they can get seen for because one, they have the, you know, for the rest of their life, Tony nominee in front of their name, but then also maybe someone saw them in an interview, saw them at a red carpet, met them at a luncheon or something like those are just opportunities that can go a long way. And obviously that won't be the case in this situation because, everybody's hopefully at home, stay at home, everybody, but it's still a big deal to be able to, to have that thing added to your resume. Agreed. I think in, in the situation of this year, you know, it really is more about just making sure that they try and honor 
the season and the work that was put forth, you know, I think in any other season, you're right. Like it makes a huge difference. It ups your quote. It it gets you into rooms that you wouldn't necessarily get into. And and those are all things that, you know, really is more of an agent standpoint as far as um, what kind of work they get after. But, you know, with the situation that we're in now, I think it's just about honoring the work that was done which is how all this talent feels to begin with every year. And so in some ways, it would make it even more special, I think. And maybe the idea of not having any winners would be a good one because it's just about showing scenes from those shows, whether it's on Zoom or, you know, pre-recorded and put together like what they did with that Sondheim birthday. Um, please pre-record it. We don't yeah. need any of the crazy live stuff again. Just pre-record everything, please. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's it's truly just about honoring all these people and honoring the season and recognizing how much work was put into it. And that's not to take away from the shows that weren't able to open and oh, that no, they didn't put not. in just as much work. But, you know, maybe there's a way to show some behind-the-scenes video of rehearsal processes of Six and Diana and Doubtfire and, what you know, all these shows that weren't able to open yet. There's a way to still honor them as well. They, they're just, you yeah. know, wouldn't necessarily be in the nomination this year. Right, and especially those shows that we know are not coming back. Like, I think some of those that you mentioned – are planning on returning maybe, you know, but there's a lot of shows that probably won't return. We know of, uh, especially on the play side of things, a number of shows aren't going to be coming back whenever Broadway does resume, but um, having a way to recognize those shows and to recognize them as part of the season, I, I totally agree is, is an important part of whatever the league and the wing do uh, to recognize the season. Also, I think an important part of the Tony's, um, and I know just for me personally, too, growing up, like I, I, I grew up, you know, a dancer and a musical theater geek. And I, I taped, which, you know, now ages me that I use the word tape. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, That's I taped VCR. the Tonys every year. I watched all of it over and over again. I knew who everyone was. I was obsessed with all the musical numbers. And I feel like even in today's day and age, so many kids around the country and around the world like live to watch the Tonys every year. They hope to grow up and be a Mark Kudish or a Laura Bonatti or whoever that they get to see perform on the Tonys, and they want to be that person, and they want to be able to to see all of that this year. I just I think it would be a real shame to not go forward. I don't know how else better to say it. No, I think that's perfect, and I completely agree. Uh, but before I let you go, Lisa, I know in the past you have worked with uh, Nick Cordero uh, on various projects and things throughout the years. And I just wondered, as we've all been following along with um, his story and his, his hopeful recovery, if you had any thoughts or, or anything to say about Nick. Um, yeah, it's 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 devastating. Um, you know, everyone's still extremely hopeful. And uh Nick and I worked together off and on for a little bit and uh, ran the Tony campaign together for Bullets Over Broadway when he was nominated. And that was really one of his um, 
first really huge jobs. Prior to that, he was in Toxic Avenger, which mm-hmm. we always joked about because I met him during Toxic Avenger, and he didn't remember me at all. So <laughs> I was real thrilled with that. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Nick. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say that during the period of time that Nick and I worked together, and we were extremely close friends as well at the time, and um you know, no one made me laugh harder than that guy. I mean, I've been kind of going down the YouTube spiral of videos of interviews that we did together, and I just see so many of them where he's in the middle of an interview and he'll kind of glance off camera, and he was looking at me trying to make me laugh off (laughs) camera because that's just, I don't know, it's just who he is. He wasn't about the finish line as much as he was about the ride. That's awesome. If that makes sense. And That's great. he was just a really is and was just a, a really wonderful person to be around. And, you know, I love him very much. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all hoping and praying. Well, that's lovely. Lisa, thank you so much for all that you do and for taking the time to talk to me today. It's always a pleasure to get to chat with you. Thank you. Broke up my quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> well, stay safe and uh, stay healthy and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Matt. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. Also, don't forget to head over to Patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. I hope everyone is doing well. If there's anything that we can do for you, anything you want to hear, please feel free to reach out at Broadway Radio. Or you can send us a tweet or an email. We would love to hear from you. We want to do whatever we can to make your quarantine time a little bit more theatrically friendly. So have a wonderful Thursday, everybody. And we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.